Prayer is, it's one of those things that virtually everybody prays. I mean, you know, even atheists pray. Everybody prays. It's just, it's almost, it's, it's just something that's in us as human beings. God instilled in us, it, regardless of what our, our belief system is or, or lack of belief, there's, you know, people in moments of desperation, especially people pray. And it's, it's been a reality uh, with man from the very beginning. Now, in the Bible, prayer is one of the main topics of Scripture. Prayer is mentioned over 500 times in Scripture. And so we have uh, examples of prayer, we, uh, or, or people in prayer. We, ha- we have uh, prayers that are written out. We have numerous um, invitations and exhortations to pray. But over 500 times, uh, prayer is referred to in Scripture. And prayer has marked the lives of all the great men and women of faith from biblical times right down to today. James, writing in the New Testament, he said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then James went on to use Elijah the prophet as uh, an example of someone who, who prayed fervently and then God answered prayer. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, someone that we've referenced many times and quoted several times, he wrote concerning prayer, he said, my heart has no deeper conviction than this, that prayer is the most efficient spiritual agency in the universe next to the Holy Spirit. I could as soon think of living without eating or breathing as living without praying. E.M. Bounds, who uh, was a man deeply committed to prayer and lived about the same time as Spurgeon in the 1800s, he wrote this. He said, in doing God's work, there is no substitute for praying. The men of prayer cannot be displaced with other kinds of men. And then one current uh, example, Timothy Keller wrote this in his recent book on prayer. He said, prayer though it is often draining, even an agony is in the long term the greatest source of power that is possible. So all of these quotes remind us of the fact that from biblical times right to the present day, people have prayed, but all of these quotes remind us as well of the importance of prayer, the power of prayer, the necessity of prayer if anything is really ever going to be accomplished uh, in our times, the times that we live in concerning the kingdom of God. And so what we want to do today is we want to just take a look at the text that we read over. And there are four things in the text that I want to uh, draw to your attention, beginning with this. Prayer is the assumed habit of the people of God. So there's an assumption uh, on the part of Jesus that we are going to pray. He said, when you pray. So assuming that we will pray. And of course, as his people, it's right for him to assume that because as the people of God, we are indwelt by the spirit of God. 
And the Spirit of God uh, prompts us to pray. We, we have those experiences where uh, there is just this sense where, that God is moving us uh, to pray about certain things. And I, I think that most of you would know those kinds of experiences. Uh, I, I received a text yesterday from a friend on the East Coast and it just was a nice text. Hey, how you doing? Just thinking about you, praying for you. Uh, hope everything is okay. And I thought, you know, what a blessing to know that some, God's put me on somebody's heart. And I'm so thankful for that. I talked to a few people after the service this morning, and they said, you know, we, we pray for you every day. I am so humbled when I hear that. I am so thankful. But that's what we're talking about. It's that, it's that prompting that comes from the Spirit. There, there's that in, inward thing that happens where the Lord is just moving us in the direction of prayer. He's putting things on our heart to pray for. This is what we do as God's people. And so Jesus, he uh, assumes that. Prayer is the assumed habit of the people of God. Secondly, it's important to note that prayer is the privilege of the child of God. Notice here in the passage that we read, uh, Jesus makes reference to our Father. For your father knows the things that you need. And he mentions that a few times. And this is the truth about prayer. Now, everybody prays, even the atheists, like I said. Uh, people from all religions pray. But you know, the hard truth is that God doesn't hear everybody's prayer. Well, let me, let me put it this way. God is under no obligation to hear everybody's prayer. I think the reality is God does hear everybody's prayer because God, of course, he hears everything. But God is not obligated to hear the prayers of those who are uh, in sin and rebellion and separation and opposition to him and, and so forth. But he has obligated himself to hearing our prayer. You see, prayer is the privilege of the children of God. So we have this privilege. We have the confidence. When we pray, it's not just wishful hoping. It's not, uh, there, there's not an uncertainty there as to whether God's actually going to hear us or not. We have the confidence that he hears us. We could come, as the writer to Hebrews tells us, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and we can know that we're going to obtain help and find mercy in the time of need. We, we have that kind of a confidence because we are God's children. And so it is the privilege. And remember, it's a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. It's something that we get to do. We get to commune with God in prayer. And I say that because sometimes we look at prayer as a burden, or we look at prayer as um, a laborious kind of activity. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there can be times when prayer is a labor for sure. And Keller mentioned that in the quote that we talked about there. Sometimes there's an agonizing in prayer. Prayer is not always the easiest thing to do, but we have to remember that regardless of that, it is a privilege. We get to pray. It's not like, oh, we have to pray. Oh, the pastor said we have to come to the prayer meeting tonight, you know, because it's prayer week. 
No. <laughs> the pastor said, we get to come to the prayer meeting tonight because it's prayer week. And we get to come every night because it's prayer week. Though that's the attitude that we're to have. Uh, it's a privilege. And think about that. We can speak to the God of the universe. We can speak to the one who created everything. We can speak to the one who knows everything. We can speak to the one who has authority over everything. I mean, isn't that amazing if you think about it? You know, we, all of us at times wish that we could, you know, get in touch with the person in charge of something to get this problem sorted out, right? And sometimes you have a problem and you go, you know, maybe you purchase something that's not working properly and you go, you take it back and you tell them, hey, you know, this, I bought this thing here and it doesn't really work. And they're like, oh, well, sorry, I can't, I can't really help you. We can't do anything about it. What do you say? Hey, where's your manager? I need to talk to your manager. And, and you go up the ladder. You, you want to get to somebody that can do something about the problem. Well, you know, here's the wonderful reality. We get to go right to God. We get to go straight to the top and speak right to the Lord himself. That is part of this privilege that we have because we are God's children. So prayer is the privilege of the child of God. Now, the third thing that I want you to see, and this is where I want to put my primary focus today, as we break down the prayer itself, the prayer that we all read together, something that you see as you begin to look more closely at this prayer is that prayer is God-centered. True prayer, the right kind of prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us, it's God-centered. And I say that because quite often we would not think that at all when it comes to praying. Because isn't it true that mostly we pray when things aren't going right in our lives and we're praying about our particular problem or situation and most of the time the, the emphasis or the focus in our prayer is on us or the things that we are concerned about. But the Bible reminds us many times over and in this prayer we are reminded that Prayer is really God-centered. It's about God, and it's about the will and the purpose of God and those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that we don't pray about things that pertain specifically to us, our problems and our struggles and our difficulties. Of course we do, but we just have to remember that all of those things are eclipsed by the bigger issue of the will and the purpose of God, and actually those things are going to be sorted out as they come into place in God's bigger plan. So as we look at the prayer, notice where it starts, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Immediately, Jesus wants us to get the perspective of who it is that we're praying to. We've already seen we're praying to our Father, so relationship is there, but it's our Father who is in heaven. And the idea here is to remind us that God is sovereign over everything. He, it's not just our Father who is in heaven in the sense that, well, you know, he's up there, he's a long ways away from us. 
No, the, the idea is that he is in heaven. He's seated in heaven. He's enthroned in heaven. He's the supreme one. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who has absolute authority and control over all things on the earth. And you know, this is, the, this is where we must start every prayer. And especially when we're overwhelmed by circumstances, especially when we're facing the, the difficulties and the, the trials, or, or we see things happening that are uh, inexplicable and troubling, we have to remember that God is on the throne. And Jesus wants us to start right there, remembering the sovereignty of God, remembering that God is in control of everything. And you know, when you start your prayer like that, I know for myself so many times that has just, it's just taken the edge off of the anxiety and whatever it might be, the, the burden, the frustration, whatever it might be that I'm, I'm wrestling with as I come to prayer, when I get that perspective right from the start, it's just suddenly the edge is taken off of it. It's like, oh yeah, right. I forgot. I forgot you're in charge, God. I forgot you're in control. I forgot that none of this has escaped your attention. And I forgot that you have all the power that's necessary to take care of this situation. So we've got to keep that at the forefront of our minds. That's where Jesus starts our Father in heaven, the, the, um, the sovereignty of God. Secondly, hallowed be your name. And this is a, a, a way of referring to the nature of God, the holiness of God. And this is another thing that we've got to keep in mind, that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is just, that he is pure. God is light, John tells us, and in him is no darkness at all. And when I approach God in prayer, I need to be reminded of that. I'm approaching the Holy One. So since I'm approaching the Holy One, I approach him humbly, obviously, because I am not holy. I'm a sinner. So I come to him humbly, but because of his grace, I have the, the opportunity to approach the Holy One. But as I approach the Holy One, I recognize that he's righteous, that he's just, that his ways are, are perfect and true. And so I can have confidence that as I pray to him, that he's going to do, only going to do those things that are consistent with his nature. He's only going to do those things that are consistent with who he is, holy, righteous, just, true. In other words, he's going to do the right thing. God's always going to do the right thing. We can never... Uh, or we should, should never have anxiety or worry that, that some, well, well maybe, maybe, maybe God would do the wrong thing here. You know, sometimes people say, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to just pray God's will be done because what if, it, what if he doesn't do what I'm asking him? Well, if he doesn't do what he, you're asking him, it's because it's the wrong thing. God doesn't do the wrong thing. I heard a quote that said, let me try to remember it. it the, the idea is that you know, people say, well, you know, I prayed about this and God didn't answer my prayer. And oh, this was actually Tim Keller. He said, he said, God actually answers every prayer that we ever pray. He answers them the way we would have prayed if we knew what he knew. <laughs> I like that. So, so we pray something 
And a lot of times we pray in ignorance. And so rather than answering the prayer that we're praying in ignorance, God says, oh no. If you knew what I knew, this is how you would have prayed. And then I would answer exactly what you prayed because it's the right thing. And that's the way God does it. And we can be confident in that. So we, we need to keep that in mind as well. God is sovereign. He has all power and he's holy, righteous, just, perfect in all of his ways. And then thirdly, Jesus said, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer is ultimately about God's will. It's ultimately about God's will. And we have to keep that in mind because it's hard for us often when we are embroiled in some kind of difficulty, it's hard for us to, to get beyond that and to look at the bigger picture of God's will. You know, for example, we, we hear today about persecution of Christians happening all around the world. And that obviously is troubling to us. And I think most of us, when we hear that, our immediate thought about prayer is pray that that persecution will stop. Pray that God will intervene. Pray that God will deliver the people from the suffering. That's naturally where we would go with that. And it seems like the place to go. But here's what we don't know many times. Here's what we fail to realize, that it's actually through that suffering, it's through that persecution that God is doing his work. It, it, it really is true. You know, years ago, I, I, I read quite a few books on um, the, the subject of Christianity in China. And... It was in 1949 that the communists came to power in China and um, essentially drove all of the, the foreign missionaries and ministries and all that. They, they uh, expelled them from the country. And it had been about a hundred year period from the time, uh, Hudson Taylor's time until then, uh, where God had sent Hudson Taylor. He really spearheaded the work into inland China. There were others, but, but he was one of the key figures. And, and over that close to 100-year period or so, maybe it was not quite that, um, there had been some progress made. There had been some uh, advancement of the gospel among the Chinese people. But uh, I, think, I think the totals that they estimated... Uh, at the time of the, the communist revolution, I think they, they estimated that there were maybe six to 800,000 Christians in all of China at the time. And now, of course, when the communists came to power and expelled everybody, the immediate thought was Christianity is over in China. And, and those, uh, those missionaries that were expelled, they lamented the fact that they had been driven out. They thought everything, everything that we'd worked for for all these years had been lost. And of course, everybody on this side of the world would have been praying, 
God stop that communist regime. God overthrow them, deliver those Christians because the gospel can't advance. Your kingdom can't flourish under these circumstances. But you know, the reality was this, that God used that next season under communism to multiply the church 10 times over. So today for me, having read all of that stuff over the years, today for me, when it comes to a persecuted Christian situation, and as, as I personally begin to pray about that, I'm always conflicted because, of course, there's a side of me that says, Lord, get them out of that problem. Deliver them. But then there's another side of me that says, oh, but wait, sometimes this is how you get your will done. And you see, that's what prayer is really about. It's more about God's will. God has a will. And he's working out his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we have to be uh, focused on more so than our own personal situation or our own personal preference. Well, some people say that it's a, it's a lack of faith to tack on to the end of your prayer, thy will be done. They say, don't say that. That's, that's a lack of faith. You just say, God, you do this in Jesus' name, and you believe that God's going to do it. A lady this morning told me that she was praying for a, a person the other day who was in, um, I, I think, uh, paraplegic situation or something like that. And she was praying. And as she prayed for that person, she was praying with a few other people. As she prayed for that person at the end, she said, and Lord, may your will be done. Amen. And a person next to her rebuked her and said, what are you doing praying like that? That's a lack of faith. Don't pray. May God's will be done. Just pray that they're healed. And she rightfully said, well, I think I'm just going to leave it as it is. I'm going to pray God's will be done. Would we want something other than God's will? God, we know it's not your will, but just do it anyway, because this is what we want. I mean, that's a stupid prayer, right? You know, God's will might be, um, you know, sometimes hard to understand, and it might be not what we really thought should happen, but that's because we don't know, you see? Like Keller said, God knows. He knows what's best. And so we can safely pray, not my will, but yours be done. And we can know that we have great uh, authority to do it because that's exactly how Jesus himself prayed. Jesus did not have a lack of faith. Jesus knew that at the end of the day, the main thing was the will of God. And so that's what prayer is. Prayer is about the will of God. And so we pray, and oftentimes, you know, some of you know this from personal experience. I, I prayed for you for healing and things like that. And you know that we always pray, this is what we want, Lord. We, this is, and, and this is how I pray about those things. Lord, this, we want this. This is what we want you to do. And we ask you to do this very specifically. But Lord, we know that you know more than we do. So if this is not the right thing to pray for, then you, of course, you know what's right, so you just do what you're going to do. 
And you know, the truth of the matter is God's going to do what he's going to do regardless. Even if you refuse to say, thy will be done, (laughs) not going to change anything. God's going to do it his way because he's God. He's sovereign. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants us to remember that God is our provider. And again, these are such important things. When we pray, when when we find ourselves in difficulty financially, economically, when we come to a place, maybe it's hard to scrape enough money together to get a meal on the table this week. That does happen, right? Jesus wants us to remember that our daily bread is not dependent on our income. Our daily bread is dependent on God, who is our provider. We need to go back to that. He wants us to remember that. He wants us to keep that in mind. And he wants us to remember when we do partake in our daily bread, that it's not because of our paycheck. Ultimately, it's because God has provided. He wants us to see the Lord as the God of provision. And then forgive us our sins. He's reminding us here that our God is a merciful God, that he forgives sin. And we can trust in that. We can have confidence in that, that as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we also forgive our debtors. Reminds us of the fact that God is a forgiving God, that we need to be a forgiving people as well. So you see, this prayer is, it's a God-centered prayer. It, It keeps pointing us to these different things about God himself. And then he says, and do not lead us into trials or temptations or testings. And here Jesus is reminding us of the providence of God. God leads our lives. We talk about the providential hand of God. That means that that God's hand is over uh, not just the affairs of the world in in a general sense, but his hand is upon your life and my life personally. He's directing the affairs of our life. So do not lead us into the trials and the testings. It's a reminder of God's providential guidance over our lives. You know, it's, it's a good thing to stop at times and to ponder God's providence, to think about how you, here's a way to do it. Think about your life and how you got to where you are today. And I guarantee as you go back and as you look over your life, as you think about it, you're going to find that God's hand has been upon you your whole life. Even when you didn't know God, you're going to find that as you think about it, you're like, wow, you, you can see the Lord's hand there. I, I spent some time yesterday with a friend who's uh, in hospice care right now, and um, he's almost 80 years old. 
And he was telling me that during this season right now in his life, it's really caused him to go back and to think very specifically about the seasons of his life. And he said, you know, as I'm doing that, I am just seeing, I'm seeing the hand of God throughout my life. And he was raised as a Christian, but had a season where he wasn't really walking with the Lord. And he was saying, even when I wasn't walking with the Lord, I look back and I could still see how God was leading the affairs of my life. And he was talking about his career and how uh, throughout his career, he could look back and he could see the hand of God. He was talking about some health uh, issues that he dealt with throughout his life and see how God had gone before him in dealing with all of those things. And this person happened, uh, he and his wife happened to be uh, on the board of the original Calvary Chapel before Pastor Chuck came to Calvary Chapel. And they were involved in the process of inviting Chuck to become uh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel. And we were talking about that whole situation. And again, um, talking about the hand of God, the providence of God, look at what God has done and talking about the circumstances of how, uh, you know, they were at this church and they decided to call it Calvary Chapel. And then uh, the pastor wasn't really a gifted teacher and they felt like they needed somebody to teach the Bible. And they were praying about that. And somebody said, well, there's this guy, Chuck Smith. Why don't we try him out? And he came and they felt bad because he had a thriving church out in Corona and we're going to take him and bring him to this little mess that we've got here. And they said afterwards, well, Chuck, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, yeah, I felt like the Lord's leading me back into this area. Um, And the rest is history. (laughs) And God was providentially orchestrating all of these things. This is the providence of God. And that's their story. But guess what? You've got a a, a similar story. I've got a similar story. As I look back over my life, as I look from where I'm standing right now, and as I look back over these years, I think, wow, it's amazing. The hand of God. Jesus is reminding us in this prayer. He wants us to remind ourselves of the providence of God. God is leading our lives. That's a wonderful, wonderful reality. And then, finally, deliver us from evil, or the evil one, more literally. Deliver us from evil. We live in an evil world. You know what? We've always lived in an evil world. Men are no more evil today than they've ever been because man has always been evil. But what's happening today is the restraints upon evil are being removed. So you see, all of this has always been in the heart of man. And there's just times in history where the wickedness that resides in the human heart, it's allowed to overflow because there's no restraint on it. And so that's what we're seeing today. The restraints are being removed and the wickedness is overflowing in our culture. It's an evil day. What do we do about this evil? I don't know about you, but I could imagine if you're a young parent and you're looking at your kids and you're thinking about the world that they are inheriting, I'm sure that causes anxiety to you. My kids are all grown up, but guess what? I've got grandkids. And I think of my grandchildren and I look at how precious they are and how innocent they are and how 
beautiful they are. And I think, you know, there are evil people in this world that want to defile them and corrupt them and take them captive. And I look at that evil and I think, God, what can we do about the evil? Well, guess what we can do? We can pray. We can pray. That's the thing that we must do. We must pray. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't act as well, but listen, whatever actions we take need to proceed from the prayer that we've prayed because we want to act in accordance with, with God's will and how he would have us to act. But when you talk about the overflow of evil, how do we restrain evil in a culture that has just embraced evil? How do you restrain evil when you have uh, a, a, a government that is promoting evil. God has to intervene. God has to step in. When the enemy comes in like a flood, Isaiah reminds us, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against them. And that's what we need to cry out for. But we need to have that conviction and that confidence that God does indeed deliver from evil. But you see, this is why we need to pray. We need to pray against the overflow of, of evil in the culture, against the overflow, uh, the tsunami of wickedness that is sweeping over the land and around the world. We must pray about these things. And you know, as we pray, God has a million and one ways of thwarting the efforts of the wicked. And we just have to trust him to do those things. And so rather than losing heart, rather than becoming despondent, rather than just throwing up our hands and saying, oh, it's a hopeless situation. We can't do anything about it. Oh, yes, we can. We can pray. We can pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And we can trust God to do what needs to be done. Prayer, finally, is ultimately about the glory of God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's what prayer is ultimately about. It's about the glory of God. It's about, in the end, God being glorified. And that's where things are headed, thank God. God will be glorified in the end. The, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that that is the, the reality that's coming. But all of our prayers in the end, that's what we need to keep in mind, that all of this that we're praying for, whatever it might be, if it's my own personal problem, or if it's related to us congregationally, or if it's related to the bigger picture of the kingdom of God on the earth, we just have to keep in mind, you know, in the end, Lord, we're praying for your name to be exalted and for you to be glorified. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. How is God glorified? Well, God is glorified when his people worship, serve, and obey him. See, that's why we pray for each other. That's why we pray for the church. And I think you guys recognize this because you're here pretty consistently. But, you know, as we pray and open the service and uh, every week we're praying for the, the body of Christ. We're not just praying for the thing we're doing here. 
Yeah, we're praying for that, but we're praying because we're part of a bigger thing. We're part of the whole body. We're part of the whole family. And if one member suffers, they all suffer. And if one member rejoices, they all rejoice. And, and we want to pray for the entire church of Jesus Christ. That we, as God's people, will worship, serve, and obey him because he will be glorified through that. And that's the end goal. God is also glorified when those for whom Christ died repent and put their faith in Jesus. And so we pray, God, pour out your spirit. Convict men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. God, save people. And you know how it is when, when the Lord saves people. When he saved you, there's a, there's a glory that goes to him for that. People look at your life and they're like, wow, what happened? You're different. And man, praise God. Or if they don't know the Lord, they're like, wow, there must be a God. How else could this be explained? God, but the point is, God gets the glory. So we pray for the church and our, and our mission in the world and that we, we would be submitted to God and obedient to God for that. But we pray for the broader uh, culture and community that God would pour out his spirit, that people would be convicted of their sin, that they would turn to Jesus and receive the forgiveness and that he would be glorified in their salvation. So you see, it's the glory of God that we are after in our prayers, ultimately. Let me quote one more time from Keller, his book on prayer. He said, Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, healed people with prayers, insisted that some demons could be cast out only through prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears, and sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying, and he was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples in the church on the night before he died, and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. Jesus taught us to pray. This prayer that we read together in Luke chapter 11, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. This is what he taught them. He taught us to pray. Jesus exemplified for us what it is to pray. He didn't only teach us a prayer to pray, a model prayer, but he taught us by example. He showed us that we must pray. And I always think about this. If the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, the Lord of the universe in human flesh, if Jesus needed to pray, then how much more do we need to pray? We need to pray. And Jesus taught us to pray by example. And so as we enter a new year, we have a new opportunity to be men and women of prayer, to follow the example of Jesus. And you know, the wonderful thing about prayer, here it is, everyone can do it. 
Everyone can do it. Everyone can have a prayer ministry. And, and I want to say specifically to those of you that are maybe struggling about a ministry, how do you serve the Lord? You, you've thought about it. You want to do something for God. But, you know, as you've kind of surveyed things, you, there's not really anything that you feel that you would be gifted to do or able to do or available to do or whatever. And you're wondering, but Lord, I want to do something. Here's what you can do. You can pray. You can pray. You can uh, set up a time to pray with friends. You can come and join a prayer meeting. You can set aside some time during the day, during the week where you get alone and, and not just haphazardly pray, but get a prayer list and start praying for things that are on your heart, things that you see that need to happen. And the beauty of prayer, again, is that you don't have to go to Bible college to learn to pray. You don't have to go to seminary and get a degree to pray. We can all pray, every one of us. And that's what we need to do. In studying for prayer this week, I was so convicted about my own need to pray. It's like, man, Lord, thank you that we've got the week of prayer coming. I want to use this week to set the tone for not just the rest of the year, but the rest of life. You know, many years ago, we quoted from Spurgeon earlier, but many years ago when Spurgeon was pastoring in South London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, Spurgeon was well known all around the world as, a, as one of the great preachers of his day, the Victorian era. And uh, he had a, uh, he, the church itself seated about 6,000 people, which was huge in those days. And there was never an empty seat and people were converted at every service for decades under Spurgeon's ministry. And although he was located there in South London before the age of telecommunication and obviously the internet and all that, his fame spread all around the world. His sermons were uh, all, all around the world. And subsequently, people would come from everywhere to find out the secret of the success of the ministry at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And when they would come, Spurgeon would say, well, I will gladly show you the secret to the success. And he would take them to the basement of the church. And at any given time, there would be dozens and sometimes even hundreds of people there in the basement seeking the Lord and crying out to him for the work of his spirit. That was the secret. We don't have a basement here, but we don't need a basement. Maybe you've got a basement at home. You know, it does, we, you just, you get the point. We need to set aside the time for prayer. We need to pray for one another. Pray for us. We need you. I need you to pray for me. And you know, when everything is said and done, I know this will be a fact. When everything is said and done, the people that were out front, like me and others, who everyone thinks, well, they're, they're really doing the work, which, you know, hopefully we are. But when everything's said and done, people are going to know that we did what we did because of others. Every great move of God in history thus far, if you look deeper into it, 
beyond the personality or the front person of the ministry, you will always find that there's an anonymous group of people that prayed. Nobody ever knew who they were. They never wrote a book. They never preached a sermon. They prayed. And you know, it's the same today. We need your prayers. We need to pray as a congregation. We need to pray personally, individually. And listen, for your own life, you've got things in your life that you need God to intervene in regard to. Pray about those things. Don't stop praying. Keep praying. That's what Jesus told us. And on one other occasion, finally, I'll end with this. Jesus told us not to stop praying. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Men should always pray and not lose heart. Let's be those men and women who do that. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of the privilege of prayer and the power of prayer and the purpose of prayer and all the different things that we've considered here today. And Lord, we would ask that you would help us to really pray in the days ahead. Help us, Lord, and help us to remember that you are the sovereign one, that you are the holy one, that your will is good and it's perfect. And you're the one that brings the provision that's necessary. And you're the one that forgives our sins and guides our lives. And you're the one who has power to turn back evil. And you're the one that will be glorified ultimately. Help us to live with the understanding of those things. And so here we are today praying to you right now and asking you to move on our hearts and make us men and women of prayer in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.